everybody this morning. Yeah, let's get uh, let's get into our lesson for today. All right. So um, a little advance notice, just so you know. Um, third Sunday in August, I'm going to take Pastor Coleman's sermon literally. Okay, so I won't be here. So Richard's going to take the class. So uh, we'll save up all the hard questions for Richard when uh, when uh, when it's time. All right, very good. Well, let's get into our lesson. Um, what I did was, uh, again, I do this often, is when we end on a section kind of in the middle of the chapter, then I go ahead and cl- include that part in the next lesson. So we still always have a nice flow of, uh, of context. And so where we're picking it up in, in verse 16, we actually looked a little bit uh, last week, but we didn't get a chance to uh, uh, have the note of it. Okay. So it says, it also for, so it, the it is the second beast, all right, that's what we're still talking about, which is beast number two, okay? It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So again, what what he's talking about is the the... The pervasiveness, if you want to think about that, or to some degree, the universality. Now, it, it kind of depends on if, if you interpret this to mean universality throughout the whole world, or if you, if you interpret it as universality throughout the Roman Empire. So it's kind of a little bit of, uh, it goes back to that um, original question that we kind of talked about when Revelation was written. Was it written uh, er, well, early date? would mean that the fall of the Roman Empire had not yet occurred and that John is writing and Jesus is telling John to write about that as the main uh, worldwide cataclysmic event. Okay, If you uh, go after the later date, then that means that the Roman Empire has already fallen. And so then we're looking at something that is more widespread. Okay, So anyway, I, I think what's interesting about this here it, for me, anyway, is that it would not have been that far-fetched to imagine that in the Roman Empire, particularly in the seven churches, the regions of the seven churches, where those were all provinces of, of Rome, that because Caesar worship was the thing, it wouldn't be that hard to imagine that in order to actually do business, you would actually have to have some official... Uh, some official mark or some official endorsement uh, in order to uh, be able to do business. And so if you, if you said, well, I'm not going to worship Caesar. He's not my Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And you made, a, you made that a public kind of thing. And then you said, and I'm not about to bow down to, to Caesar. I would imagine that it would have cost you something in those days. And so some people would sort of extrapolate from that, that in each of the eras of history, so to speak, um, when uh, the ability to do business was tied to your affiliation with a religion or was tied to your willingness to um, uh, basically worship something and it wasn't Jesus Christ, then maybe it would cost you something. Okay, People today would suggest, sort of say that in some areas, in some uh, settings, um, because Christianity is starting to take a lot of hits in terms of at least um, uh, conservative or orthodox Christianity is taking hits, 
that is starting to cost people something. Okay, so we can kind of play with that in our minds a little bit. So the next part of it then in verse 18, he says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, that's beast number two, for it is the number of a man, that number is 666. So what's kind of, again, some little interesting uh, uh, side note is that some of the Greek manuscripts indicate the number as 616. So always with Greek, you know, there's always a little bit of, of maybe fuzziness, sometimes fuzziness, in particularly with the with the numbers, but but what's apparent here is that John's readers would have known what he's talking about. Okay, We're, that whatever that code is, we we lost it somewhere, and uh, uh, so it could be that the opposite number would be seven 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 or seven one seven. It depends on how you read it. But if it's seven seven seven, then you have sort of the etern- the eternity of, of God, the the picture of God. And then uh, the 666 would be something representing something that's anti-God. Is there any, you have any thoughts about that? I mean, we see it all, I mean, this is, this is what captures people's imagination a lot when uh, you start talking about a mark on the forehead or a mark on the, arm, on the hand. Any, any uh, reason, can you think of any reason why it would have been the right hand? Why not the left hand? Do we have any left-handed people here feeling kind of left out, huh? Yeah. So it's just, yeah. That could be it. You know, uh, in the Middle East, the right hand is used for interaction with people, and the left hand is used for cleanliness of various kinds. So they say if you go to a market in the Middle East, grab a piece of fruit with your right hand. Don't grab it with your left. You'll gross everybody out if you grab it with your left. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but it's kind of an interesting little thing. Okay, so here's my note. And this is coming from, this is me, not necessarily a commentator, but I'm making my point. The purpose of the two beasts is to deceive people into thinking its version of the truth is synonymous with the absolute truth, which we would say is the Word of God. The example in John's day was Gnosticism, which was an intellectual belief system, which did not did not overtly attempt to destroy people's faith in the Word. Instead, it subverted the belief that God's Word could be understood at face value. It promoted secret codes within the Word, secret language, which only those trained in its interpretive principles could discern its true meaning. Gnosticism never actually went away. It merely went underground, emerging in new and more sophisticated ways, the one that we hear mostly about today is critical theory, being promoted as the new lens through which we interpret the Bible. Spirituality without religion, techno-shamanism, that's, that was a new one for me, which is seeking to take on godlike power in the virtual reality of cyberspace. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is that um, Gnosticism, which was this... Uh, belief, this intellectual belief that existed at the time of Jesus came out of, came out of Greek philosophy, uh, Plato, Aristotle, Hippocrates, all those guys were very intellectually driven. And they formed a group around them that basically said that if you want to have the, if you want to have the best life ever, then you have to learn the, the higher secrets, okay? 
And so my opinion is, is that what we're seeing today in the form of critical theory, which is the, the foundational theory of all the other stuff that we're hearing about, critical race theory, ever heard of that before? That's tons in the news. Critical uh, gender theory, critical feminist theory, critical higher critical theory in terms of, of looking at God's word. All of those things flow out of critical theory itself. And it's my belief because I've studied it a lot, is that what that really is is just another manifestation of Gnosticism, which came out of the first century uh, in John's day and in Paul's day. Okay? So anyway, that's, for me, um, trying to be intellectually honest in addressing that from a um, certainly philosophical point of view, but more significantly from a theological point of view. And so when the scriptures talk about this idea that um, we're looking, that you have to have some insight and you have to have some wisdom and you have to have some, some moxie in terms of addressing it, I think it's important to address it. So anyway, that's where I'm coming from on this. The ultimate intent of the power and the authority of the two beasts who speak the voice of the dragon is to do what? To see people. See, deception is the common theme here throughout this part of Revelation where that's the dragon is all about deceiving. Well, we know he is because that's Satan, and he's not just a liar, but he's the father of lies. That's the way the scriptures present it. But then what we have in beast number one and beast number two, who are speaking the voice of the dragon, uh, is that that's what they're all about. And so as we've talked about that from that perspective, is if you want to deceive somebody, you got to make your message look like truth. Because it's not enough to just to come out and say, well, that truth is false. Now, what's interesting in John's day, where there were what was called Caesar cults. And one of the things that Caesar cults often did was they would go around and spread this information. They would be misinformation. They would say uh, about the gospel, for example, that it is not eternal. It's only temporal. So see, they didn't deny it out. They didn't deny it outright. They didn't say, oh, it's not true. They didn't do that. They just said, you can't count on it forever. So they take the, the def, they take the word gospel and shift the definition of it. So And when you do that, then you can use any Bible word you want, right? You're not refuting the Bible word. You're just changing the definition so it no longer means the thing that the Bible talks about. And if you're not wise to that, if you're not mindful of that, then it's real easy just to say, oh, everybody's teaching the same thing. What's the big deal? Okay? Not everybody's teaching the same thing. And it is a big deal if it affects your walk with Jesus, which ultimately affects your salvation. So Satan's strategy never changes from the first temptation in the garden. First thing he did was cast doubt on the word by saying, did God really say? Right? Second thing he did was negate God's word. You will not die. And the third thing he did was made promises which sound a whole lot better than God's word does. Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. The only problem is you'll be like God without God. Okay? So it's just, it, it just, it's, it's mindful to me that um, we want to have a, an intellectually honest response to some of the things that we're, we're hearing now or is being taught. It, it doesn't mean that we should go riot somewhere. It doesn't mean that we should throw people out of office. It doesn't mean we should do any of that kind of stuff. Okay? It, but it does mean that we need to be, we got to bring our A game now. We can't just take for granted or we can't just assume um, that uh, 
that just because a Bible word is being used, that that means that the definition of that Bible word is the biblical definition. Okay, thoughts about that? When the two beasts are there, there will be one worldwide government. Well, that's one. That's an interpretation of that. Now, whether see again, whether whether this was true in John's day. Deceiving. That was the yeah. It, purpose. The focus is deception. The focus right. is deception. You had the mark of God. Well, that's coming up. Yeah. yeah. Right. But you can see where if. It, again, in the in the in the example of the Roman Empire, um, that that was that governed everything, the economy, how we do business, who you do business with, uh, all those kinds of things. And probably from the Roman government's point of view, that was the best way to maintain a quality of control and a way of, you know, uh, that's how we can keep our our empire strong. So from the from the point of view of a government, it kind of makes sense to do that. It's just that when that starts to encroach on our uh, ability to teach the gospel and preach the gospel without being censored or without being told that, well, you can't teach that because if you teach that, that's hate speech. You can't teach that because if you do, then you're guilty of, uh, of doing things that run, that run amok to uh, what, the, what that government or that country's trying to do. Okay? So it's just to be mindful of that, but it also means that uh, there'll be blowback. So, for example, um, what I'm saying right now will be on the podcast, okay? When the podcast goes out, depending on who's hearing it, uh, I'll get emails, okay? It's just part, it's the world that we live in today. Now, the good news is uh, the emails have names attached, and so I can respond. I'm willing to do that, okay? I'm willing to do that, but uh, at the same time, it just gets kind of old, you know, so anyway, yeah, uh, Armin. Well, the flip side though is if, is is to be silent, then you don't get the pushback, and then we don't have the opportunity to make a stand for what's going on that needs to be we need to speak up about. Yeah, the gospel and so that's right. As long as it's gospel driven, you know, that's the other thing with it is it's just so easy for us to, for our human nature to kick in, you know, and then it's like onward Christian shoulders as we go, you know. Uh, uh, going after somebody, and that isn't what—that's not what's intended here, and that's not what's being promoted. Yeah. I guess I have a question. Sure. Obviously, we cannot go to the first Gnostic church of Plano. <laughs> so I guess that. Oh, maybe we could. Yeah. This critical theory. Yeah. Ramping up. Yes. What's sank Gnosticism? Say that again. What's sunk Gnosticism? I don't know if it ever did. I think it. I think it went underground. It's a highly intellectual approach that says you really can't truly understand the Bible unless you know the secret language, unless you know the the higher stuff. So it really gets into numerology. It really gets into um, uh, you can't take the Bible at face value. For example, um, an example would be. Uh, and I mentioned Union, the- uh, Union Seminary here. Union Seminary is, uh, used to be a Disciples of Christ uh, seminary in New York. It's, it's now as liberal as you can imagine. And what Union Seminary believes is that critical race theory, as an example, is the new lens through which we interpret the Bible. 
So we don't interpret the Bible. See, Lutherans interpret the Bible through the lens of law and gospel. Why do we do that? Because it's biblical. <laughs> That's why. Okay. But if you say, no, well, from now on, what we're going to do instead is we're going to take a, a, a philosophical theory or an academic theory out here, and we're going to put that over the top of the Bible, and now that will be the template that we use. Then what happens is we can determine from that which parts of the Bible are uh, worthy of putting your faith in, which part of the Bible is truly written by God and which is written by men. And that's a common thing we're hearing now. Well, that was written by men, so we can discount it. So anything having to do with slavery, anything having to do with, with um, rights, uh, anything having to do with gender, any of those things get put through, the land, through that particular lens. Okay? So I think, I believe that um, critical theory is, um, ant, ant, what's the word, antieth and antithetical, I can't say it. Anyway, it's against. Um, it doesn't, it's not compatible with Christianity. That's what I believe. And the study that I'm doing would, su- would suggest that. Now, what does that mean? See, what are you going to do with that? Shall we just go march somewhere around some school like, you know, where they're teaching it and we'll get out our trumpets like the walls of Jericho and we'll just march around and then blow real hard and the walls will fall down? No, we're not going to do that. We don't do that. No. But that doesn't mean that we, um, that we don't start thinking about what, what to do with that and then how do you respond to it? How do you respond to it in a responsible and intellectually honest way? How do you do that? That's, well, that's my goal anyway. It's kind of frightening to me because when you think of Caesar and his government yes. overreach, yes. him applying what he believed was misinformation, sure. and now we're hearing misinformation here yeah. um, and how we're going to you know, make edicts that no one can share misinformation. I know. That's but really... Caesar's misinformation well, or is it God's misinformation? It's just that, you know, so, so I go back to this. I think I shared this statistic with you a number of weeks ago. Um, they did this survey of people that identified as Christians. 75% of Americans identify as Christians, right? But when they surveyed those, that 75% and asked them, what is it that you actually believe? And, and this kind of stuff that they were asking is real basic stuff, like Apostles' Creed stuff, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You know, real basic stuff. Only 6% of the people believe in that. So 6% of the people who, who say they're Christian. Now, I don't think they probably surveyed any of us here. Did any of you get that survey? I don't think so. We would probably bump the average up a little bit. But, but again, it's just if you think of it that way, I'm not sure what people mean when they say they self-identify as Christian. Because, unless they take the word Christian, empty it of its biblical definition and then fill it up with something else and then say okay that makes me christian so that's why i'm saying that that just because somebody uses certain words that sound biblical or they sound great okay let's test that and further the conversation by saying help me understand what you mean by that not because i'm going to attack you or anything like that but just help me understand and let's 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 walk that through how did you get to that you know and then where did you kind of go off um, uh, off in left field a little bit? Okay? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, the messaging, some people are messaging pretending to be our friends. Yes, they are. And 
There is evil as our overt enemy. Yeah. Yes. This morning I saw in the paper there's a proposal that teachers have to post a lesson plan so that then people can search and define for all this evil that teachers are doing. Right. Who did you need to know middle schoolers? Yeah. 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 I mean, I said it probably in here right. seven or eight years ago. Yeah. If I could indoctrinate them with grammar, I'd count that as a win. <laughs> I'm not worried about the other stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's, and again, it's, uh, what I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not freaking you out. Am I freaking you out? Hope not. Okay. At the same time, we gotta, there's some waking up that's involved here. Okay. You can't scare us. (laughs) (laughs) I assure you, I'm not woke enough. I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a little side note on this is that you know they there's a lot of conversation about the 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 roots of this. All this came out of Germany, in fact, in the 1920s. So there was a a German school, a philosophy school called the Frankfurt School, and these guys that were really instrumental in this were Marxists. And so they fled Germany in the 1930s. The Nazis chased them out because they were afraid that they would be um, thrown in prison for being communists. So they came to America, and they became uh, ensconced at Columbia University in uh, one of the Ivy League schools. And so it's out of Columbia University that a lot of the... uh, the books are being written now, White Privilege and White Fragility and uh, Robin D'Angelo and a lot of the, um, the sort of gurus of uh, critical theory is coming out of Columbia University. And so it's, it's spread. You know, it's the schools of education now. It's the schools of social work, schools of counseling that, like I'm in, um, uh, the criminal justice um, schools and the, the uh, law schools. And so if you think about that, that's, pretty, that's a pretty pervasive uh, philosophical approach to life comes out of those schools. And so it's been around for 20 years, which is enough time for people to be educated in those schools and then to, and then to go out. So, so it's, not, it's not new, but it's probably new to us because we're just hearing about it, okay? Um, so the question is, how shall we respond? How shall we respond? And the church has always been, and maybe this is true about Lutherans in general, is that we've all always been behind the eight ball. It's like things can go on for a long time before we go, oh, we didn't even see that coming. And so, but now's a good time for us to respond. Okay, so just let you know that that's kind of one of the things that's on my heart. And uh, um, one of the things that I'm very much um, cued in on. So, shall we get back to the Bible? <laughs> All right, very good. So, let's go down then to the top of the next page, okay? And we start the next chapter. He says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the living, before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. 
they were purchased from among mankind and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So what, what we have now in this chapter is another view from heaven, right? So remember that, remember that sort of p- common pattern that we see in the book of Revelation is that it, there's a view from earth and then there's a view from heaven and a view from earth and a view from heaven. And remind us again, why does that, why does that pattern work here? What, what would be the point of that pattern? The idea is that things are doing whatever they're doing down here on earth, and we're thinking, oh, how terrible it is because a third of the earth, a third of the seas, a third of the trees, there's a lot of, lot of turmoil going on, and yet where our vision is what? Looking to heaven. See, it's, it's, it kind of goes back to what I have up on the board here, is that he keeps saying again and again and again, keep your eternity perspective. Don't lose sight of that. Don't get so uh, enthralled in terms of what's going on earth that we lose sight of that. And that because there's that eternity perspective, that's not only our own source of comfort, but then that's the message we have to keep teaching. That's the message we have to keep preaching. The message is not that somehow the earth will become this utopian, perfect, wonderful place. It never will. Now, does that mean that we just say, oh, forget, uh, forget stuff on earth, we, we deal only with heaven? No. We live our lives now on earth, and while we're here, we live the gospel, we share the gospel, and we look forward to that day when everything is all about just the gospel, which is in heaven. Yeah? I think what you're saying is, don't mask the social media. That is what I am saying. <laughs> Lawrence, you have boiled down the whole lesson. Social media is nothing in the world. It is the tool of Satan. That's what it is. By golly. Well, there certainly is some good that it could be, but the the way that it can be used for evil, right? And how addictive it is. Have you noticed that, how addictive it is? Yeah. By the way, for those of you that want to know, I did find my phone. Yeah, I wanted to let you know that. I'm not going to say any more about that. I'm just going to leave it. Okay. All right, well, let's take a look at a couple of notes here from the Old Testament. Joel 2.32. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So you get this sense of, you know, in Joel's day, you know, that that everybody's scattered still. You know, there's, there's exile, there's... There's uh, uh, no, a remnant in Israel, but the, there's all of this chaos. And so when there's chaos going on in, in, on earth, or when there's just chaos going on in your life, okay, where do you find your hope? In verses like this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. There, there's our hope, see? And it's a hope based on what God has done for us in Jesus not just a hope based on somehow, oh, I hope things get better. Oh, I hope we elect the right people. Oh, I hope that they teach the right thing in schools. Yeah, we hope all that stuff. But you know what? If that doesn't happen, we got the greater hope, which is the hope of eternity. So he mentions the Lamb, the 144,000. Now, remember what we talked about that. What is the 144,000? Yeah, it's 12 times 12 times 100 times 100. So you get this idea of of the there's there is this vast number of people who are believers and who are uh, God calls as his own okay and that's the large number 
Okay, but there is a definite, it is a definite number. It's not like everybody in the world will be saved, right? It's everybody who believes, everybody who believes. Okay? Well, let's hope. Yeah, it is. The number? Okay, it's, it's symbolic. So the number, uh, there are certain numbers in Revelation, it's part of apocryphal language that it's, it's used that way. Okay, so it's kind of a code, right? You can kind of see where the Gnostics would have had a heyday with, with the book of Revelation, right? And would sort of think, you know, maybe if we apply the same codes to other books of the Bible, then maybe we can have a deeper understanding, okay? So there's, uh, there, again, they didn't completely um, say the Bible's not true. They didn't say that. They just said, uh, we offer a higher understanding, uh, a, li- a bit of an intellectually elite understanding, okay? Psalm 98, uh, 1-3, Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So we have this new song idea here, all right? And the new song is the song of the joy that we have in Jesus, the joy that we have in the hope that is ours through Jesus. Now notice what uh, he makes this reference to. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. So you got to go back to what we talked about before was that, that prostitution and adultery were very common in the religious practices of the Greek empires as well as the Roman empires. They, the, the Canaanites were the same way, that, that this belief that, um, that sexual immorality was part of the way in which the earth and the sun or the earth and the moon joined together. That's how we get rain. It was all mixed in there in terms of the religious practices. So when, when God is referring to prostitution or, or referring to adultery, he's talking about idolatry, okay? Because idolatry is, is what? It's the joining of your soul to what? Another God as it would have been expressed in some sort of sexual activity. So Paul picks up that thought in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 3. He says, I hope you'll put up with me a li- uh, put up with me in a little foolishness. He said, yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So again, the idea was, and the Bible talks about this a lot, um, is that our faith in Jesus also involves a purity of devotion, right? Is that it's really all about him. And the temptation that's always before us is that we want to make it all about us, right? And so that's why the, the Bible talks a lot about this idea that, that faith in him is dying to self. When you die to self, basically what you're saying is, it isn't all about me. It isn't even about me, right? It's all about Jesus. And when it is all about Jesus, then how does that demonstrate itself in, uh, in the life that you lead? 
So he says, that's who these are. They did not defile. Another way of saying it was they did not defile themselves with, adult, with idolatry. Okay? They didn't let um, their own pursuits and their own obsessions be the thing that determined their life. It was all about, all about Jesus. So what does that mean? They follow the lamb. Where do they follow him? Wherever he goes. <laughs> Don't you love that? They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Right? Love it. And the beauty of it is, is that they were purchased from among mankind. What does that word purchase mean? What does that mean? For, forgiven would be the result of being purchased. But what is the idea of being purchased? In what way are we purchased? Yeah, the blood of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think at, if you if truly, if you think about it from a slave perspective, the uh, in that culture, slavery was part of that culture. So a slave could go free only if what happened? If somebody paid the price for, the sla- for that freedom. And that's the point of what Jesus did for us. By his blood, he paid the price so that the, we who were slaves to sin are no longer slaves to sin. Cool stuff. Okay. All right, let's see what else here. Oh, and then the very end, no lies found in their mouths, they are blameless. So it kind of keeps coming back to truth, doesn't it? It keeps coming back to this idea that, that uh, uh, what is spoken uh, is, all, is also matters as well. Thoughts? Any thoughts about it? Yeah, you know, when you think about it that way, and not just, you know, he talks about the idea of I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then what is it that Satan is always trying to do is to get us to deviate off of that. I am the what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that means that, and no man comes to the Father except through me, right? Oh my gosh, the world today hates that verse because if we quote that verse, we're, we're accused of being uh, exclusive. We are not being inclusive by saying that the only way that you can get to eternity is through Christ, right? So what happens is, is that people will take the word grace, for example, empty it of its biblical meaning and turn it into something that you have to merit, so if you're a good enough person, then you'll receive enough grace to get to heaven. Okay? And there are religions that do that. We have to be, we have to be wise to that. Okay? We have to be wise to that. Okay, let's keep on going. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Okay, so there's, a, again, another vision of what? Heaven, right? Even, we're having struggles down here, Lord. Come on, we're, we're, we're doing the best we can, but boy, it's slugging through quicksand, okay? And he says, oh, but there's an angel up there, and what is he doing? He's presenting the eternal gospel. Again, reminder, reminding you what I said earlier is the Caesar cults took that and said, yeah, you can believe in the gospel, but only for this life. It's not eternal. And if you're not wise to that, if you're not thinking, hey, wait a minute, that's not right, that's not what this says, then you're going to buy into it and think, well, okay, I'll use the gospel for my own well-being in this life, but I really can't count on it for the life to come. Maybe there's another truth out there that I can depend on for the life that's yet to come. See how, see how subtle that is? See? Yeah. Pastor, I'm a little confused, uh, you know, with the Bible and then this, this layer of information we should 
above that? I, I, I'm a little confused. I mean, do I believe the Bible as the Bible is? I mean, I read the Bible yeah. from what I know and I read it. There you go. That's good enough right there. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. But the world is trying to tell us that's not good enough. Okay? The world's, the world's trying to tell us that um, you can't take the Bible at face value. So if it's, yeah, we can. Yeah, we're not going we're, we're to listen to that aspect of the world. But we have to be prepared to, um, um, I guess, defend maybe is a good, a good way to say it. Okay? The perspective that we're taking. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, Richard. As a child growing up, if I am grown up, I'm sure. Well, well, let's, we <laughs> shall we take a toll a poll on that? Yeah, yeah. But I've heard that in church all the time. What? What? What is what? That we take God, the Bible, word for word. Yeah. We we have a literal view of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The problem is that some of the Bible is symbolic. Yeah. And and so this can be a, an area where mm -hmm. people will explore That's right. us and say That is correct. Okay, did Jonah really get swallowed by the whale? Which some some people say, Oh yes, and other people say exactly. no. Right. So but it is a, it is an area that we need to be mindful of yes. so we don't get trapped. That's right. People will try to that's correct. So how do we respond to that from our from our Lutheran uh, conservative Lutheran perspective? I have to say it that way because in liberal Lutheran circles th there's a wide range of beliefs about that, okay? So how would we respond to the idea that we would say the Bible is the word of God um, and we take it at face value, but there's parts of it that are symbolic, there's parts of it that are metaphorical, there's parts of it that are parables, you know, what What do you do with that? So that we can be intellectually honest with it. Yeah, Kathy? I think you have to focus on the pattern and message of Christ as our Savior. So that's the first point. You know, not if, I mean, there are people, you just don't go there. You're not going there. Yeah. So, which so, might get trapped in what they trapped me there. Like, yeah. No, I don't know if this is symbolic. I don't know. This is my focus. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, sometimes you have to have this conversation. Otherwise, it's going to try trap you. Yeah, so Luther once described the, the Bible as the cradle in which the Christ child lays. Right? Okay. You find Jesus in the, that's, that's at the end of the day, it's, it's about Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to believe in the Bible as the word of God. Okay. So, so remember kind of that first rule of thumb, um, going back to Lutheran 101, um, we, we do look at, we look at the Bible in its context. So you have, you, what do you do? It, the first thing you do is you say, well, who wrote it? And what was he talking about? And what was the thing being addressed? And, and the context will tell you a lot about, is this a parable? Is this uh, a literal statement? Is it a narrative? Is it, is it poetry? Okay. So there's a lot of that. It's just that in some um, theological circles, the starting point is that the Bible is not the Word of God in its entirety. The starting point is that the Bible contains the Word of God, but there's also parts of the Bible that are not the Word of God. If that's your starting point, okay, then you can already see that you're here and like we're over here. And how do you how do you get the two together? Very difficult to get the two together. Okay, yeah, Bob. 
Yes. When I say I take the Bible literally, yes. I mean I take it as literature. Yes. It is poetry, it's proper, right. it's all those things. It's history, yeah. it's all kinds of things. Yeah. But people take that word literal to mean, oh, I take it word for word. Yeah. Exactly what it says. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything else with it, but you've got to take it as literature and interpret it. Mm-hmm. You interpret the Bible by the Bible. That's correct. Not the Bible by the Bible. So, so when we talk about exegesis, for example, what, you, what the word exegesis means is that you're taking the word and you're drawing out of it what the word says by using principles that are already in the word. Okay? Eisegesis is where you interpret the word by imposing your own interpretive principle on top of it. And that's the attempt that's being made today by people that say that they know a lot. Okay? So it's just being, it's being wise to those things. People, people today all, all of the time say, well, you Christians, you just can't agree on anything. Right? Well, yeah, that's probably right to some degree if the starting point is is that the Bible is the Word of God versus the Bible may not be the Word of God in its entirety. I would agree, if that's our starting point, we're going to have a really hard time agreeing on the authority of the Bible to be the norm for your life. Okay, And see, that's where it, 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 there are there some aspects of the Bible that make you very uncomfortable. We mentioned one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Well, what about everybody that doesn't go through Jesus? They're going to hell, okay? Gosh, I hope that makes us uncomfortable. And I hope what that does is stirs us to think in terms of each of us knows somebody or we know of somebody who, for whom we're not sure. And so, it's, yeah, God gets to decide at the end. That's, well, that's a big message here, right? But maybe in between now and then, we might be moved to share Jesus. And why not? Why not? Yeah, Armin. That, that's my struggle, Pastor. I mean, you touched on it earlier. We share our faith, but we've got to be careful not to share. I mean, I'll be honest. I get angry when I see the L, G, A, B, C, Q, whatever all of it is. Now the commercials have it. And that's my right. wife and I are about to just drop cable all together. I mean, I know it's already bad, but... We're one of the last holdouts. And we're like we stop watching news and, and all of that stuff, and 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 everybody is drank the Kool Aid, and mm-hmm. yet I know I know offense won't win anybody. Right. So that's it's hard. You said searching for answers there. Obviously, yes. Show love. Show the love of Christ. Yep. But we've got that. I've got that barrier. And, it's, yeah. and sometimes it's, it's just hard. Yeah, I, I think that I'm glad that God is patient, right? I, I really am. I really am. And Bible talks about that. You know, we get impatient because we want things to hurry up and be like, oh, hurry up. Um, but God is patient. And the reason why he is is because he wants the full number of those that he already knows are going to be in heaven. He wants that to be in, he wants everybody to be included in that. And so maybe we can take a little page from God and, and be a little bit more patient in the sense that um, I think we have some work to do in terms of uh, how to respond. With all the things going on in society, um, 
LGBT, all those things, critical race, all those things, everything. Okay, it does feel a little bit like uh, it's kind of overwhelming because there's like like from all sides being uh, bombarded with it. Okay, but nonetheless, that's the world we're in. We can run away from that world and we can say, well, I'm not going to be part of that world, right? I'm just going to go get on a boat and go out in the middle of the uh, Sea of Galilee and then I will never go to shore. That was what I got out of the sermon today, by the way. Why didn't they just get their rest right in the middle of the lake instead of going back and forth, back and forth? That was a thought I had. Yeah, Jill. Good to see you, by the way. Does everyone know Jill Wilmer here? Do you know Pastor Wilmer's mom? Would you please stand just so we can recognize you? Oh, you were standing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Good to see you. So say, but isn't it, as Christians, isn't it easy if we just always fall back to that Bible verse? I am the way, the truth, the life. Yeah. So anytime somebody's got you up against the wall or you're trying to come to grips with it, yeah. we, we can hide it. We got it. Now all we got to do is get it out. And mm-hmm. don't, don't question our faith. Yeah. But we need to help others. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we um, sell that a bit short, don't we? Because we say, oh, I tried that and it didn't work. But he said, he said mustard seed. Yeah, he said my word doesn't return void either. You know, so part of it is trusting in the word and then using the word in the responsible way that it's meant to be. Yeah, because sometimes we look at the evils of the world and we think, boy, Fire and brimstone on that one, right? Pound the pulpit on that one, right? And we do that and we think, oh, I told them. Well, then did you, did you also tell them the gospel after that? No. Ran out of time. Well, okay, well, I mean, see, if we're going to speak the counsel of God, then it needs to be the whole counsel of God, not just the part that we like or the part that we're comfortable with, okay? And so that's, again, part of why we're here it's not just to fill our brains with knowledge about God. It's also to build each other up for going out the door and into the parking lot and out onto the freeway. The, the, it, the world is out there. It's in here, too, but it's out there. Yeah. Can we not uh, make a stand sometimes by walking away from what's wrong? I'll give you a real quick uh, scenario. I've never been on a cruise. My sister really wanted to take me. So we planned the cruise with her church, different denomination, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then after I paid all my deposits and everything's been planned, I start seeing literature coming out of that denomination mm-hmm. that is very offensive and okay. not of the Bible. Okay. To me. Yes. All the love is love. Uh, here's what you're doing wrong, you terrible white person, and all that. Okay. And so I said, I'm not going to spend $6,000 that I ain't got to go on a trip where people are going to be telling me mm-hmm. the pastors of the church are going to be preaching, and maybe I'm going to be having to argue with people, <laughs> other Christians, about this mess. Boy, that's relaxing. <laughs> 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 Yeah. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to take a stand for the truth as, as I know it and say, no, I'm not going there because it's not right. And for me, 
Yeah. So is sometimes walking away to me isn't I'm not trying to give up. Right. I am letting them know. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. It's it's not right. So sometimes we have to be smart about where we do our witnessing, and then especially on a cruise boat, where are you going to go to escape? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. All right. I mean, so you just you have to you have to think of it that way, but then also then pray that God will open up other doors so that the passion that you have about it can be can be realized somewhere else. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just keep going back to asking the Holy Spirit to just take the wheel. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it but there's also going to be moments in life when you can't get away and you're you're the one. So there is something to be said for being prepared for that, okay? And and having sort of your ducks in a row in terms of, well, what would I say and how would I do it? You know, and but again, even having said that, the Holy Spirit takes over there. And the Holy Spirit ends up doing the work and then I'm sharing the word in my stumbling, bumbling way and somehow that he does it, okay? So we get kind of caught up in, Oh, I didn't say it the right way, and oh, I really blew it, and that kind of thing. Okay, let me get Eddie, and then I'll get Lawrence. Yeah. Well, we talked about misinformation. Yes, misinformation. I just want to talk about something to that. Yeah. Talking because I mean, you know, I'm living a communist time. You came out of your yes, you did. And the evil of bombarding with misinformation from the press and the TV and all the time. That's right. But I want to point out that that's not the only danger because they did not tell certain news. So we were basically cut off from the world. Yeah. And they just told us what they wanted to tell that's us. That's correct. And there were other news that you could maybe hear from radio, radio, and other, yeah. you know, organizations. Correct. The same thing is going on today in the US. Mm-hmm. And it's really frightening now that the White House is trying to kind of blackmail Facebook and Google and all the others mm-hmm. to erase missing, the so called misinformation. Right. That is what they consider misinformation. That's correct. You know, and, uh, and basically, that's what has been happening mm-hmm. for years now. <laughs> That's correct. Well, you, you start to be labeled as extremist if you have certain conservative beliefs. That's correct. The, yeah. the definition has really narrowed in terms of what that is. In yeah, this, yeah. It, it's not just the fake news that was made propagated. Yes. And uh, Chelsea. Void of fact. Yes. That's right. You can never get to it. You don't see on I mean the YouTube videos are taken down all the time. Sure. They disappear between that. Sure. So again, number one, God's in charge. Can we feel good about that? Okay, God's in charge. He's got the plan. Can we feel good about that? Yeah. Okay. Uh but we still need to have our eyes open in our ears listening, right? Okay? So we, we get our comfort, but at the same time, we bring our A-game. We bring our A-game. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm going to tag on to that. 
and because of what you had asked last week about what do we do in between here and eternity. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do anything but keep our eyes and ears open to what is happening to exactly the reference you referred to, which is the Bible is being considered hate speech. Yeah, by some people, not everybody. But yeah, but if you're going to focus on anything, focus on keeping your eyes and ears open to what is happening to our ability to share the gospel. Because before long, we're not going to be able to share about eternity with family, friends, neighbors, if we're not careful to keep our eyes and ears open and try to... If you're going to wage a war against something, wage it against what is our privilege of being able to share the gospel. Well, again, I would just sort of suggest that using Eddie's example, the gospel got to them in spite of the best efforts of the media or the government that was a part of the country they're from. The gospel, gospel gets through. God's not going to be thwarted. But does that mean that we, it's an easy road for us now? No, it's not an easy road for us. So we have to be prepared for the possibility that if one avenue gets shut down, then we find another one, and we find another one, and we find another one, and we keep doing it. See, but kind of the days are gone when uh, there was a church on every corner filled with Christians. There's still a church on every corner, but in a lot of communities, it's half empty, including in Europe. You know, a lot of the churches in Europe now are museums. And so they're beautiful museums are beautiful places. But God's gospel has a way of moving around. And that's the comfort that we have that see, that's the assurance that we have no matter what. And, and you can take that on a national level if you want to, but I always like to bring it back to the personal level. When I'm here, I still get to share and live the gospel. Even though people are going to look at my life and they're going to say, how in the world could you even trust in Jesus? How could you even believe? Look at all the stuff happening to you. Look, look, how, look how life's been so unfair to you. Look how you have never had anything go your way, and yet you love Jesus. How can that be? Oh, what an opportunity that is, right? See, but if I'm wallowing around in self-pity or feel like a victim or whatever it is, if that's, if, if that's what happens, then I'm missing the opportunity that is presented to me in that moment to share Jesus. And maybe all I can say is, well, I don't know how things are going to work out, but you know what? I trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm holding on to that. And maybe that's enough. Yeah, and then we need to so. end. You said something, and it had to do with your phone. Uh, oh, with my phone? Yes. And must we go back to that? Yes, yes, we must. Okay. Because you had a really good prayer that I've been saying ever since. Really? Let me see what you see, and mm. let me hear what you hear. Mm. I say that all the time now. Great. And I just think it applies to everything you do. That's awesome. Yeah. When you're down, you mm -hmm. can say that. Yeah. When you're up, you can say that. Yeah, it's good. And thank you very much for that. I'm kind of embarrassed now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad. No, because that's kind of been, that's kind of now something that's floating through my head all the time, too. I don't see it. And, but God does. So I just want to get a little sense of what he sees i'd feel better then let's close a prayer heavenly father thank you for our time together and thank you for the way that your word speaks to us in these times that 
for many of us, we didn't grow up with this. Some, some did, but for a lot of us, we didn't. It's like, how'd that happen? The world changed overnight. I guess it didn't. But the beauty of this is that your word is the thing that we stand on. Your word is what's in us. And your word does not return void. So I pray, Lord, for each one here that as troubled as some of us are, or maybe not so, others aren't so troubled about what's going on in the world around us, the beauty is, is that at the end of the day, we have the victory in Christ. And we can live that victory and we can share that victory. And maybe perhaps through our influence, maybe perhaps through as the Spirit works through us, that there'll be others that come to see the, the joy and the beauty of that. So uh, be with us this, this week. Um, bless us with your presence. And uh, again, give us opportunity to share Jesus with those uh, near and far. Until we're together again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.